Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Well, now, girls and young women and what they need growing up in 2017. Our guest is the renowned Australian psychologist, parent, educator, and writer, Steve Bidoff. He's the author of four books, Raising Boys, The Secret of Happy Children, Raising Girls, and The New Manhood. The latest book is called Ten Things Girls Need Most, and here's what he says in the introduction. Somehow in the last 20 years, childhood and adolescence has changed. It's more lonely, more pressured, and more unkind. On the one hand, there is pressure from advertising, TV, and social media to be cool and amazing, and pressure from parents and school to be successful. And then at the same time, the friendly support and availability of adults who love them has been reduced. Their world is inhumanly busy. Time spent in nature, time for affection, time to dream, time to create and to be themselves has been stripped away. We've done this to our daughters unwittingly but relentlessly and now we are seeing the results. Steve is in Sydney. Good morning. Good morning. How you doing? That was a pretty good summary of the picture. Thank you. Well, you're not the first in many ways uh, to highlight the individual elements of this, including school principals who are talking about their concern about how much we are assessing and driving our kids uh, at high school. Of course, there's a lot of um, concerns also about the impact of social media. But you put it very directly and you also make it a call to arms. What What is it that you see, 40 years in the business, what is it that you see that backs your position on this? Yes, well, I think ev- everyone around the world in the mental health field is, is saying the same thing. The schools, the, the psychiatrists, the, the doctors and, and the researchers, and so and parents themselves, anyone who's got a daughter over about the age of eight is seeing how she's getting hammered and, and really um, not knowing where to turn about this or what's happening. And what I, I think is the, the kind of inside story about child psychology is that if the kids are not the problem. It's, it's what we in the adult world are doing to this generation of young people. And so this book, I know mean, I've written before about girls, but I felt we needed some stronger medicine. And so 10 Things Girls Need Most is a has a... Is an interactive book where you rate your family, you look at the stress picture that you're living in, you look at your own childhood to look at what wounds you might be passing on to your daughter without knowing it. Because we've got to get onto this problem fast. One in five girls now is, has diagnosed anxiety disorders and, and, and it's knocking them over. And, and it's often the most, um, the, the more sensitive or more open-hearted girls who are the first ones to fall. And, and so what we have to do is look at our lifestyle, at the hurry, at the at how we convey that pressure to them that they have to be successful and that we've calmed their lives down. Does that make sense to you as a, as a woman and as a, a mum? It totally makes time. It totally makes sense to calm our lives down, mm. all of our lives and especially their lives. And the, the, the mm. bit that struck me out of that introduction, their world is inhumanly busy, is those very things that we had of my generation, time spent in nature, time for affection, uh, time to dream and time mm. to create. In many ways, that is what we have stripped. But when you again back the assertions, talk us through your class of 15-year-olds uh, that you en- envisage here and what the research tells us 
their lives might be like. Well, yes, I, don't, I mean, I don't want to, to be all about scaring people in the short time that we've got, but, the, you know, the kids who are self-harming and the kids who are already tricking into, tripping into eating disorders, you, you're looking at, at two out of five girls are struggling in some way or other. And one of those, what will happen is their parents will be prompted by that to make changes and they'll pull them back. And we tell a lot of stories in the book about parents who've um, made changes to their family life and it's brought their daughter back. But but I'd, rather than focus on, on the, all the negatives, I think the thing to look at is particularly the early years that the, the foundations of mental health come from, from our babyhood and toddlerhood. And so what mothers and fathers who are listening to us today can do is to realize that little brains need a lot of chill out time. They grow best um, when life goes slowly and that we all like excitement and drama, but we need time then to integrate that and settle. And so in the rhythm of your day, is there peaceful time in nature? Um, when kids come home from school, do they get to chill out? They're not rushing on to the next thing. And do we hang about with our kids enough? Because the, the happiness of life is mostly the hanging about and splashing in the bath or taking delight in some little insect that you found on a flower. And and so Kiwis were very good at that kind of thing, very much close to nature. And I think the urbanization and money pressures have really taken away um, the, the things that we just took for granted. Do, do, do you know what I'm talking about? I, I, I do, and I'm really happy to talk about the solutions, but our listeners mm. aren't fragile, and many of them know exactly the things of which you speak and mm. are worried of the things of which you speak, either with their own daughter or indeed in, in her group of friends. So, yes, we know that the, the, the research is telling us there will be a, a, an element of self-harm as a means of coping. Uh, there will be mm. some with eating disorders. The one I'm really interested in here, because this is so top of mind to a generation of mothers who came through a very indifferent environment themselves, mm. is the fact that several of those who will be sexually active will tell, perhaps not their parents, but might tell you they don't enjoy sex. They do it just because it pleases boys. Uh, and this is where people don't need the protecting, then they know this stuff. They very much are interested in what it is that they and their community can do about it. So let's take that particular example. Mm. The, the, the sexual pressure on young women and this idea that a lot of what a generation came to take for granted about the right to my body uh, and the right to respect and the right to consent all of these things, the particular challenges that this generation is dealing with and how you communicate to them about this. Yes, that's that's one of the most important focuses in the book. One of the ten things girls need most is to have a happy sexuality. And and the 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 studies that are coming in are saying that what we haven't done successfully is educate girls about the positives of sex and that what happens now very often is, is young women start having sex at about the age of 14 or 15. That they, the, the, uh, for about 50 to 60% of them, depending on the country, it's not a happy experience. They don't enjoy it. They've done it in a, a sense of pressure from a, from a boy, but also pressure from their own culture that this is what you have to do to be cool and 
and to be hot and 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 up with things and so it's it's like feminism never happened and 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 it's it's a kind of a use sexuality being something that's done to you and that's why we use the term sexualization and so sexuality is what comes from the inside and if a girl you know, really ready to be sexual, and whatever her her sexuality is expresses that. There's no problem with that. It's it's when she does it. Sexualization is it means when it's imposed from the outside. So rape is sexualization, and, and child abuse is. But so is, you know, is is your 14 year old daughter feeling that she has to send selfies to a boy because he he just really wants that, and he keeps pressuring her now. What was found by particularly the great book that I draw on a lot by Peggy Orenstein in the States was that girls who have from their mums and their aunties and the, the culture around them, the message that sex is so fantastic when it's when it's good, when, it, when the conditions are right. Um, that's the thing we never teach in schools. We teach the biology, but this, I, I don't think there'd be a whole te- teacher in the whole of New Zealand who's brave enough to say, look, guys, Sex is fantastic. It's one of the best reasons to be alive. And girls who get that message, what we find happens is that they, they, they hold out for what they want when they want it in the conditions that they want it. Now, that, that brings the onset of first intercourse back by about two years on average. And so it means that girls are not just doing it to comply or to please or to hold on to a boy who'll go somewhere else if they don't come across. And that, that's, uh, you know, that we need to get sex back to being a happy, exciting, and usually that means something that's slowed down, where you just hold hands and you just really enjoy kissing and don't rush past all of those lovely aspects of young love that, that we all found part marvelous of, at the time. There's a part of the book, that, that issue of passivity uh, and compliance on behalf of girls in, in, in particular seems to me at the heart of empowering them in this matter. Uh, and certainly, they're not the first generation, by the way, to have lived with these realities, but we did go through many, many years and many, many battles to empower young girls and women to have a sense of being in charge of their sexuality uh, and an expectation of their partners to respect it. Um when we deal with the realities of the online porn, which is so in play here, you're not going to stop their access to it, particularly boys' access to it, as if I understand the research in your book, more than girls' access to it. But the girls are dealing with the boys' expectations. What are some of the advice that you give about how to talk about the realities of porn uh, and to separate that, to talk through that, when it comes to what a, a healthy personal sexual relationship for them is going to be about. I'm talking about things like sex is anonymous. No one ever looks at each other. Sex is fast. There's no foreplay or kissing or caressing. Sex yeah. uh, is often uh, degrading for women. Women are always ready. Women are always compliant. These are the subliminal messages that can come uh, from modelling one's sexual development on what they're seeing online. How do you, as a parent and a group of parents or carers, talk that through in a way that's going to empower your daughter. Yes, those points that you just listed are, are, are straight out of the book, and they're the, they're the delineations of how porn is different to the real world. And now, it's, we really need to be saying this to our boys, as in, in particular. It, it's um, 
this is a, a t- getting the, the young men to to wake up to themselves as much, but but same for, for the girls as well. That that we we need to not be afraid to talk about porn and to be t- saying to you know kids as young as you know with little eight year olds that. Um, Sometimes you'll, someone will show you yucky stuff about about sex and bodies at school. There'll be someone will come and you know show you pictures, and it looks really yuck and strange, and and that's around. But just you know, sex is actually in the real life is really nice, and and always we can always talk about it. And and by the age of twelve or thirteen, what you'll be saying is, look, you get to, you'll probably see some pornography sometimes, and it's what you'll see is different to the real world. And here's how it's different. In the real world, people talk and laugh and tickle and, and cuddle and they, and they care about each other's feelings. In, uh, in pornography, people put you down, they, they treat you like a piece of meat. Um, now, we're having accounts from girls all over the world that boys, are tre- boys who often actually not bad boys but they think this is how you're supposed to act. They are copying, they are learning yes. their sexuality and their sexual exactly. behaviour this way. Porn, so, Porn is their sex education for a whole generation. So at an age-appropriate, oh. in an age-appropriate way, and that varies with individuals, you simply mm. confront it, you simply talk it through and contextualise it for them. Uh, and is this a case often where, like most teens in many instances, they're going to go yuck. They're going to go whatever, and and you know walk away and, and indicate perhaps they're not listening. But they will totally be taking on board uh, what you are saying if you are saying it in a way that again helps empower them. Doesn't sort of say you can't do this, you don't do this, but helps empower them. I, I Steve, I'm just um, the biggie that really uh, comes out of this again uh, when it comes to the pressure that young women are under, that girls are under, that time pressure that you talk about and that lack of space to do nothing. Parents are in the same situations in many cases. They're having to work multiple jobs. They might be uh, on their own or co-parenting and there's all the logistics involved in, in um, coordinating that. How do you come at, again, trying to create that time in a, in a time-pressured environment, uh, time for you just to hang out with your daughter and indeed to try and create some space and that it's okay for her to have some space and time yeah. that isn't scheduled. How do we confront what is almost the disease in many cases of our of our modern family lives? Yeah, so I think it starts with, I mean, I can't solve that on a personal level for each of your listeners, but it has to be making it a priority first and to realise, you know, if this is the price of your of your daughter's mental health, what wouldn't you do to save her from from having a lifelong anxiety condition? And so, um, we just got mistaken about what helps our kids. We thought that success at school and and looking amazing and being fantastic at sport was was the meaning of life. Now, what we know from neuroscience now is brains grow best when they grow slow, and that that you have to hang about with kids a lot um, before they'll tell you the things that are really worrying them. Um, in the primary school years, girls will come home often from school with big social worries. And if we're around, it'll, they'll sit about for five minutes and then they'll say something like, you know, mum, why are friends so mean? Or why do boys behave like that? And and it's only then that we'll get the, the, the opening to listen to them and, and have a bit of a chat about what's been going on. 
And so that puts this terrible um, paradox onto us as parents that we have to hang about quite a bit and and be at least not look busy. And, and if we think that our job is to work hard to buy them, you know, fancy school fees and and clothes and holidays overseas, because thinking that's what makes for a good childhood, then we'll get it wrong. And so it's a it's a complete social revaluing of where we're going. And, and I don't apologize. You know, I'm, I'm in my 60s now. I've been writing books for 40 years for parents. And my focus now is we're in a sick culture. We need to a countercultural move away from consumerism. And that means getting everyone on the page. And, and we have a Facebook community that talks about this every day uh, about how people can make changes you know the hangabout the same yeah the hangabout is a great concept because it's tempting to think of it as wasted time we're so scheduled Mm. ourselves and we're so scheduled our kids are so scheduled why aren't you doing your practice why aren't you doing your homework where are you up to with assessment on this yeah Uh, and done with the best of intentions but just the hanging about uh to do nothing is exactly the space, exactly the space that you're trying to open up. There's something else that applies to this particular generation of girls and boys, actually. The scrutiny on them, the 24-hour, seven-day-a-week near surveillance of them that happens through primarily through social media and including their own addictions, as we all have. We can't put the damn phone down for five seconds. We have to see what the latest update is and who's done this and who's tweeted me and who's alerted me and who's Facebooked me. They're almost, their lives are almost surveilled. And the most wonderful thing about the good parts of childhood or adolescence are those times where you can just do stuff and if you stuff up or if you do nothing or if you do something a bit weird, no one else gets to see and comment. How can we create that kind of space? Yes, well, as parents, I think but parenthood has always involved wielding a spear. You, you, you know, we, we drove off the hyenas and escaped from the bears for millions of years, and we still need to wield spears in the modern world in that, that we have to um, fence out um, social media and not have a TV always on in our living room. And so we, we had a terrific reaction last week to this thing that you must leave the phones in the kitchen from seven o'clock, that we shouldn't have 10-year-old girls waking up at night to check their Instagram feed because they're not doing it in a happy way. Um, it's just, you know, in case I miss something. And But we, it needs all mums and dads to be on the page about that. If half the kids are, um, you know, still texting at, at three in the morning, then it's it's been, it's harder for our kids to, you know, we feel like we're the most unfair parent in the in the school if we don't let us do that. And so parenting does involve boundary setting. When we do that, we show backbone with our kids. That's when they grow backbone themselves. And it, and it becomes, uh, once again, uh, there's safe havens in the day. There's time to just be a dorky, uh, you know, slobby, not thinking about anything, not, not achieving anything wonderful, except that our peace of mind is growing and our... our inner beauty is growing all the same. I'm just thinking about that angle that everyone puts their face on when they take their social media feed pic, you know, that kind of sideways pose thing. You get your best sort of model look on and we just need to drop that. Kids should not be walking through life having to pose, you know. 
Um, but anyway, good luck with it. <laughs> good luck with it all. One one other point. I, I I love the chapter on aunties, whether they're literal aunties or whether they are adopted aunties. But that idea again that it's not just your it's not just your struggle. In some ways, it is a struggle. It's not just your concern, and it certainly is a concern because every one of these parents is, you know, on a scale of concerned to petrified about some of what their kids are having to navigate. That sees so un- unfair. But the role of others, and particularly at diff- to, to pull others into the picture, pull others into the team at certain times of life. Uh, especially around puberty, you point out in the case of, of aunties, because again, there's some pretty, there's some very practical things to be navigated at that time, as well as some very strong emotional things. What, what is the advice there about ensuring there are aunties of whatever ilk um, in yeah. your in your daughter's life? Yes, there's there's a, a beautiful story in the book about a, a girl whose mother dies when she's only twelve years old, and and at the funeral, a circle of women draw her aside into a room and and they're friends of her mum and people that have known her growing up and they encircle, literally encircle this 12-year-old girl and say, we, we will be in your life for as long as we live. We can't replace your mum, but but we're here. And and that was a, a, a very strong instance of, of the, the fact that it's not enough. Mums and daughters often go through a very tense times and and around about the age of 12, every girl seems to be determined that she's not going to turn out like her mum. And it's it's very sad, but the, uh, it's a part of her individuating. And so we think that aunties are the forgotten key to girls' mental health because they talk on a deeper level with girls. They're sometimes less embarrassing to talk to. And they're an, you can if a, a niece can go, sometimes go and stay at her auntie's house um, and spend the night there and have a monthly um, lunch with her as, as a young woman and an older woman, then when girls are in those high-risk situations, you know, they're about to get into a car with a bunch of boys who've had too much to drink, she'll see her auntie's face and she'll see and she'll hear her auntie's words saying, you know, you, you, know, you idiot, don't do that. What are you thinking, girl? And, and that'll be the, the inner resource that she's drawn in from the role modeling. And so anyone listening who's got nieces, um, and the same with men and nephews, really urge you to, to be really be in her face and be a, be a strong element in her life because it's hard for mums on their own and, and we're not meant to be doing it all. It's, it's, the, it's the, the job of the tribe to look after those girls. One other point, because you talk about also a, a, you know, a new feminism being needed and it feels sometimes like we've regressed so far, you want to sort of, I don't know, just, just, I don't know what you want. I know what I don't want to do sometimes when I feel like we get so far, and I feel mine was the lucky generation. It didn't have to do the hard yards, um, and and it's it's got the benefits of those who did do the hard yards, and now we're watching so much eroded. And we're talking about those basics, about autonomy and, uh, and um, you know, a sense of control over oneself and one's life and an expectation of respect. Uh, and are we having, again, and I'm wondering, I'm linking the two, are the aunties, again, the ones who can model and could just lay down the law about what girls and women should expect. And that's going to be more received, perhaps, than the mum giving another lecture about how it wasn't her day. Yes, I, 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 I tried to incorporate some really of the best feminist writers and thinkers, and feminism is the, is the ninth of the, of the ten things a girl needs, because most often a girl will just think this is her own lonely battle against 
disrespect and, and being ogled by men on the bus going to school and and put down by boys and feeling you know that she, her legs aren't the right shape and my daughter had a, a boy in primary school say oh well, you should shave your legs and she was just in tears when she came home and mum said to her well you know tell him he should shave off his face you know or you know, why are you looking at my legs but we, we need to have that um, to, girls, to realize this is a worldwide movement. It's gone on for a century already, and and she can be part of that. That, that it's not an individual thing, that it's, a, it's, the, it's an entire gender standing up and saying this, this isn't on. And I think feminism was stolen in a way by the consumer society, it became too individualized. When, when it began, you know, 40 years ago, when I first started in my work, it was very much about collectivized a group action, standing together for each other. It's not about having a you know a glittering career as a as a, a, a bank CEO. I mean that's possible, but it's it's more about all women and all men raising the the freedom of of, of women. And so I think we need to get back some of that spirit. And and you, you, the girls who cotton onto this, their self esteem isn't from I'm pretty. It's from I'm I'm a I'm a wonderful female human being, and all of us women are so fantastic in our contribution to life, and and they take a collective pride in that, and so it's really important that we get that spirit revived and and back on the march again. And some are, by the way. Thanks very much. Good talking to you, Steve. A bit of ten things girls need most is the latest book. It's published by Finch Publishing. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com.